There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Idle Australians with James and Nasha. Idle Australians with James and Nasha. Idle Australians with James and Nasha. Let's get the show going, boys. Um, I won't lie, I think it was cute to start off with, but I'm not in love with our theme tune. Okay. I know it's very early. It's a decision we should have made probably before we launched the podcast. Yeah. Is this something we're happy to sit with? I, I don't know. It's, I think it needs more oomph. Five episodes in and it's not, it's not riding with you for like a one minute long improvised song that I threw together. <laughs> Isn't good enough for you. Well, that's my whole point. It's like people are listening and they're thinking that's how little regard they have for me as a listener. <laughs> they put 60 seconds into a theme song. And I would think, yes, yes, it is not as um, fleshed out as I would expect from two broadcast professionals. With a, a vast dun, 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 dun. broad career in music. Look, I'm open to suggestions and I'm also open to listener participation. You know, if you, you reckon you can do better, <laughs> idleaustralians at gmail.com. There are two guitars on the wall behind us, you know. Yeah. We could pull these out. We could have a shot. Yeah. I'm just saying I thought it would grow on me and it hasn't really grown it's on me. It's been a while since you've played in a band, it's been a while since you've been in the Punishers. What, what kind of, what would you like to have more of in the theme song? It needs to be meatier. It needs to uh, have more of a hook. Okay. Mm. All right. And what kind of what kind of genre would you hope it gets to? Probably like Euro techno. Is that a genre? <laughs> oh my God, I don't know if I could do five weeks of that, but we could give it a shot. Stay with me. We can work on All this. Right. But I want it to be iconic. Something mm. that people hear at the start and they're like, "Yes." Yeah. This is happening. All right. This podcast that I love, it is about to begin and I am pumped up for it. You know, something that lives in memory, much like what we're talking about in this episode. I'm pretty excited about this episode because this is the sort of thing that I love you for, James. This is the reason that you wanted to start a podcast like this because exploring these sorts of things is, you know, some people may go, what, what, what? But for you, it is like, no, 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 no. This is a person that changed the world and mm. it's just brilliant. I love it. And that's all you can ever ask for. No, not necessarily to change the entire world, but if you can change your little corner, yeah. I mean, put that on your bloody epitaph, you know? Change the small corner of the world and what more can you ask from a young man? We're talking about a very special man, a man who you may not ever have heard of, but a man who whose work you would have definitely have tasted. Tasted? 
Yes. Ever gotten hot chips, Osh? I have. And what do you get asked once they serve up your hot chips? What's the question in every burger shop, in every corner store, in every fish and chip shop in the country you get hit with? Salt or chicken salt? Exactly. And you would think, wouldn't you, that salt, a condiment, has always been around. And the assumption being chicken salt, also a condiment, has always just been around. No one invented salt, did they? No, it was it's in the water. It's in water. What about pepper? Where'd that come from? It's a tree, you grind it up. Mm. What about chicken salt? See, I don't know. That's that sounds like that's some sort of Colonel Sanders sorts of, you know, I can't tell you the recipe because, you know, there'd be ramifications if I revealed what it is. It feels like something that has just always been with us. Much like pepper, much like Garlic salt. Like, who invented garlic salt? It was just, you know, salty garlic. No one invented it, but someone monetized it. But chicken salt, a uniquely Australian condiment. And up until recently, no one knew. Where'd it come from? Who's behind it? No one even thought to care. But in the last year, the brains behind this Australian institution has finally been revealed. So you're telling me that this spice that has brought so many corner shop minimum chips to life Mm. has turned a minimum chips into a gourmet meal is an Australian creation. That's right. And we, with the help of uh, some very talented and uh, curious Australians, are going to chat to the man behind it, Mr. Peter Brinkworth. Let's get him on the phone. Hello. Peter, it's so great to speak with you. I can't tell you. I've known James Matheson for over 20 years, Peter, and he is so excited about having you on the show. <laughs> well, I'm just amazed at the interest, that's all. Let's go back to the beginning, Peter. Right. When did it all start? Like, when did the very first batch of chicken salt get thrown on chips? Listen, hang on. You're talking about something bloody 50 years ago. I don't know exactly, but it was very early 70s. I had two chicken shops, one in Gawler and one between at, at Salisbury, um, between Gawler and Adelaide. What are those chicken shops called? This is very important. What did you call your chicken shop? Well, the one at Gawler was the Gawler chicken shop. Perfect. <laughs> does what it says on the box, Peter. That's what's important. I was always very competitive and I wanted to make my chicken taste and look better than anyone else's and came up with this idea of instead of just putting salt on, on your chi- on your uh, rotisserie chickens, um, making up a mixture of basically salt plus a, a number of other uh, condiments to be lazy, and you could just put them all on in one go. But it, it, but it was actually the the ability to figure out what you needed to put together to make it work. Mm. So in the early 70s, most people, before they throw their chicken in the rotisserie, they're just throwing on salt, is that right? Probably just a bit of salt and pepper. It was mainly just uh, sprinkled with salt. But that's not good enough for Brinkworth. He no, goes, no, that's- I want to spice things up. That's been the trouble with me most of my life. Nothing's ever been good enough. I've had to do it a bit better. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I grew up in Adelaide, Peter, so for folks who aren't from Adelaide, 
I know what Gawler and Salisbury were like in the 70s, but can you try to explain to Jim what kind of people were tasting this culinary delight for the first time? <laughs> in those days, there was not much around in takeaway food. The big, the McDonald's and all those were just starting to come in. And the general public, fish and chips and chickens were the takeaway food. Rotisserie chicken in Adelaide in the 70s was a really big thing where it hadn't hit the eastern states at that stage. And a lot of the guys that had very successful uh, rotisserie chicken businesses in South Australia went to the eastern states and took it over there. Someone went to Ballarat. I know a mate of mine finished up in Sydney and they all took it to the eastern states and it, and uh, it sort of took off there. And it was, but at that stage, it was starting to compete with the American companies, the McDonald's and the KFC and all those sort of things. It sort of ran its race and gradually, um, in the nineties and that, eighties uh, and nineties, it started to settle back a bit because of the, you know, the multinational competition. At the time, I also ran a wholesale foods business and there were a block of shops on the front, which we had a a chicken shop and a fish and chip shop. Um, That's where we operated from and that was where Chicken Salt was created. So... You're out the back. You're thinking salt's not enough. No, that's right. I've got to take this up a notch. Is it you and just a few chooks and a whole spice rack going to town, trying a few different things? Take me through the process, Peter. Well, like I say, it's 50 years ago, and, and the process basically was I want to up the flavours in this thing. I'll put paprika in, which will... Give the when you when you're going to buy a cooked chook, you see it sitting there in a food warmer or wherever it may be, and the first thing you see is the skin. Mm-hmm. If the skin is appealing and looks crisp and brown, nicely brown, you're more likely uh, to buy it. Talk chicken to me, Peter. <laughs> talk chicken to me, Peter. <laughs> James is drooling. He's drooling. All this, all this saucy bird talk is getting him going, Peter. <laughs> oh, all right, all right. The, the paprika does that to a chicken. The other flavours like normal old flavours like garlic and onion flavour and celery flavour and, of course, the big one was MSG, monosodium glutamate. Now, monosodium glutamate promotes now what they call the fifth flavour. It produces the same product in a quick time the same as ageing does, like in beef, you age it and it, the, it enhances the flavour. In It's like pickling things, it, they enhance the flavour. You're talking about umami there, aren't you, Peter? Yes, umami, you've got it. And that that was the thing that in, in those days we didn't have a name for it. You know, lately everyone talks about umami. Well, that's what it is. And, and that's the flavour we promoted. It's a flavour enhancer, put it that way. It doesn't change the flavour, it enhances it. The MSG is in uh, mushrooms, it's in aged cheeses, that's where the extra flavour comes in in an aged cheese. Um, it, it's in aged meat. You know, so many products that we age specifically to get that extra flavour, that's the umami flavour, that's what MSG does, but it does it in a very short period of time. 
And MSG was originally made from seaweed. The Japanese, well, a long, long time ago, the, the Japanese had it, but it wasn't wasn't till oh the sixties and seventies that it sort of uh, became very popular out here. And it only became popular because of the Chinese restaurants. When there were a number of Chinese restaurants got going out here, they always used it. It's been used in China forever. That's what it's all about, and that was one of the main ingredients of chicken salt that made it work well. That's basically it. There's no other uh, secret ingredient in there? No, no, no other, nothing, nothing super in it. So after a bit of trial and error, you throw it on the chooks, the chooks, they start flying out the door, is that right? Well, I used it for ourselves in our chicken shop. I guess with success, or otherwise I wouldn't have kept using it. And then we we supplied chickens to a, a, a number of the um, what were the original fish and chip shops through Elizabeth. When Elizabeth started, it was all the um, British immigrants that came out to Elizabeth as a satellite city, populated mainly by British people, and their takeaway food had always been fish and chips. And in every little shopping centre in Elizabeth, there was a fish and chip shop. Well, they eventually put in a small rotisserie, and, and all of them had a small rotisserie, and, and we basically supplied them with their chicken. Then I started selling the uh, chicken salt to them. But, uh, you know, I think it was Jim. He had the Salisbury Fish and Chip Shop, and he he was the one that tried it on chips. So Jim's the first guy to, to use it off-label. As far as I know, he was the first one that said, oh, I'll chuck it on some chips as well, and away it went. But it was never really commercialised until we sold our business. And we sold our business to the Matani family in 1979. And the Matani family recognised the potential and they organised to sell it to the public through supermarkets, where we'd never gone there. We'd only done it through wholesale, through fish and chip shops and that type, and chicken shops. But they were the ones that commercialised it to produce it for the public. And uh, they need to have a little bit of credit for the uh, success that it was. Oh, well, they're not on the podcast tonight, so we, we, we don't give them credit. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about you, Peter. Let's build you up. Let's make you the icon of the story. I've given them their credit and that's it. Let's forget the Matanis now. Nice blokes, but let's just forget them for now. Do you still whip up a batch every now and again at your place? Always. And if anyone comes here and wants to buy it, I'll sell it to them. And if they don't want to buy it, I'll give it to them. <laughs> Either way, you're not leaving Pete's place without some chicken salt. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, Pete, I've got enough. No, no, no. I insist. <laughs> Look, here's a little... We, we have an honesty box at the back door <laughs> and there's chicken salt there and if people want it, they put some money in the, in the honesty box and if they don't want it, they don't take it. So from those humble beginnings, it's become a worldwide sensation. Like, at, at what point did you realise this humble little exercise has become a phenomenon in the Western world. At what point did you think, man, this is uh, this has got out of hand? I did, didn't realise it until the article in the Guardian. You know, I realised that was uh, it was Australia wide because you know most fish and chip shops you go in, they say to you, "Do you want salt or chicken salt?" You know, that's a fairly um, average thing Australia wide. It has been for a number of years, but I had no idea. When you were a young man, Peter. When you were, you know, still kind of, remember. 
Yeah, but when you were, you know, kind of leaving high school and starting work, what did you think your legacy would be? I, I didn't think. I had no idea. I, was, I, I you know, I was just uh, a young kid in the in the sixties, um, and you know, we we did whatever we could to uh, to uh, make a living. No one had any any um, great ambitions back in those days. I don't think we, we were on the land. And, uh, you know, I, I thought I would probably finish up working on the land, but I, I had no, no one could have any idea of this rubbish. It was just gone. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, after it's invented, it slowly takes the world by storm and you remain in the shadows for 50 years in terms of your connection to chicken salt until this Guardian article and the the other unsung hero, of course, in this story is uh, Adam Liao, who hunts you down and gives you the kudos that you finally deserve. What was it like after 50-odd years become famous for something that happened such a long time ago? Well, it was very surprising, and I thought it was pretty stupid, but but it was 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 surprising, and um, you know I, I still don't um, don't quite believe it. But you know they all, all tell me I'm famous. <laughs> Some of them even got even got pictures of me up in their shops. Yes. <laughs> oh dear, silly as it might sound. This man shifted more kilos of chips than any other human. <laughs> well, we have sh- shifted tons of potatoes, tons of Idaho rounds because of you, Peter. Well, you can you can sort of put whatever spin on your on it you like, I guess, but. <laughs> It, it's just one of those things, and um, it, it happened unbeknownst to me, and then it all came back. And Your daughter is partly the reason that we know your name because she had, like, the best my dad's bigger than your dad story at uni, didn't she? Mm, I'm not sure. not too sure about that. Um, well, well, everyone might have been bragging about their father. She said, yes, that's great, but my dad invented chicken salt. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I guess that, that was her claim to fame, yeah. <laughs> I think George Bernard Shaw had it right when he said, there is no love sincerer than the love of food. Particularly, there is no love sincerer than the love of your chicken salt, Peter. Well, yeah, yeah, that that that's fair enough. But if if you um, give me an address, I'll send you some. Stay on the line, Peter. Stay on the line. Stay we, we, on the line. What I make is nothing like the stuff you buy in the shops. Nothing Are you offering some homebrew <laughs> original recipe chicken salt? Yeah, yeah. The original chicken salt was made to do a job. I didn't think about costs or flogging it or anything like that. I made it to do a job. The original chicken salt had 50% salt in it. If you look on the jar of the chicken salt you buy today, it will have at least 80% salt, which means it's only got 20% of the good stuff where the original stuff had 50% of the good stuff. <laughs> so let me ask you this. There's there's another hero of the story. Like, Peter, you mentioned his name, but I think we just – I'd just love to scratch it a, a little bit more, see if we can dig a little deeper on it. You created the chicken salt as a basting, as a way to make your rotisserie chickens look and taste amazing. Yes. But it was Jim Bacassetti's at the Salis- Salisbury Fish oh, and Chip oh, Shop. <laughs> Fish and chip shop, yeah. He was the one that went, what's this yellow stuff here that I normally put on my chickens? I'm going to put it on the chips and see what happens. Yeah, well, you know, if it's good for chickens, it could be good for chips. 
What does uh, Helen, your wife, make of all this, that you've become this iconic cult figure late, so late in life? She's very jealous. She's jealous. So when you're, when you're cooking dinner for you and your wife, do you ever go... What makes you think I cook dinner for me and my wife? <laughs> <laughs> do, do you reach across and does she go, oh, not chicken salt again, can't we just... Please. No more. No more. 50 years of it, mate. Wouldn't, wouldn't dare. Oh. Wouldn't dare. Pete, amazing stuff. I mean, people have suggested, you know, that we name streets after you, we write poems about you. I mean, I think a a bust in Rundle Mall wouldn't wouldn't kill Adelaide, but um, it's fitting and right that the legend of Chicken Salt and the story of your role in it has finally come to light. Well, look, honestly, I thought it was over. <laughs> When the articles were written, where I had all these phone calls and I went on some radio programs and all this sort of thing, and then I just started discouraging it and said, look, you know, I really don't want to. I've had my 15 minutes of fame and that sort of thing, and it sort of went on for quite a while, and lately it's gone very quiet, and then all of a sudden you buggers turn up. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, no, not again. Peter, you've brought so much joy to so many people. Well, I hope so, and that, you know, without being silly, um, that makes me happy. You know, I, I like to bring joy to people. Um, I, you know, you're right, I do uh, virtually all the cooking in our house. It's like everything you do, it's always got to be a win-win situation. If I get pleasure out of it and they get pleasure out of it, everyone's happy. You certainly tick that box, mate. Peter, you're an absolute legend. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. <laughs> We're really, really honoured that you shared your story with us, mate. Thank you so much. Yeah, I hope you can make something of it. That's Pete's legacy. That's kind of what this show's all about, you know? Yeah. These little stories of people doing... Things that they might not think are amazing but actually touch people's lives. And I love that. I love that to have that as a reflection point, you've made a condiment that has really touched people. I think that's special. Because if the recipe has remained largely unchanged, when you taste that, that potato with the batter still warm from the fryer mixed in with the chicken salt, you're transported back to the first time you had it, which was probably with your parents. Probably on a, oh, it's exciting. We're going to get fish and chips or, you know, we're going to get chicken and chips. We're not, mum's not cooking tonight or dad's not cooking tonight. We're getting takeout. Ooh. And you transport it back to that moment. It's amazing, man. Bloody legend. <laughs> what a champion. Hey, if only we could come up with something that people will remember us for. Have you got any condiments kicking around you'd like to experiment with? Um, what more can you ask for? Hey. A condiment legacy, bringing joy to people's lives. That was incredible. And massive thanks to uh, Brianna who helped us out on tracking down Peter Brinkworth and his mobile phone number. Jim and I don't have that level of sleuth abilities, um, but Brianna who produced this episode was able to sort that out for us. So that was absolutely fabulous. If there is a story that you think uh, Jim and I should talk about, idleaustralians at gmail.com. Please keep the emails uh, coming in. It was absolutely magnificent. Jim, when we went to record this show, I didn't know that I would feel so moved by that story. I didn't know that one man's idea of making his chickens taste better than the next-door neighbour's 
chicken shops chickens would become this global phenomenon. I feel like that's a really nice way of you saying, why the fuck are we doing this? No, it's brilliant. It's what I love about it. It's what I love about it. I love it because even he didn't know that it was a global phenomenon. Even he had no idea. What, that thing? That thing I made in the 70s? People love it all over the world? That's fucking awesome. Too good. Too good. So it's a pleasure. We'll see you next week. Um, what was that catchphrase? Do we have a catchphrase? I can't remember. Oh, it's very catchy if, if you can't remember it. <laughs> I can't remember it. See ya. <laughs> Love you, mate. <laughs>